Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Hi, I'm Jessica Porter, and I'm a hypnotherapist, as well as a total relaxation nerd. If you're struggling to sleep at night, I'm here to help. Sleep Magic is my new podcast of relaxing hypnosis, created to help you doze off tonight. With my episodes every Wednesday, I'm going to make suggestions that help you relax really, really deeply. And hypnosis is not what you've seen on TV. There's no swinging pocket watch or clucking like a chicken. I promise. I'm just here to help you make friends with sleep again so you can get the rest you deserve. So search Sleep Magic on your favorite podcast app, and I'll see you there. Realm presents Book Burners, Season 2, Episode 16. Four. The team stood around a purple minivan in the parking lot of an Aldi in Biawa Chapka, in the middle of the Tatra Mountains. The lot was busy. The two cars tried to pull into the same spot, and the drivers fought with each other through gestures. A middle-aged woman wrestled with her kid and a cart full of groceries. A young man had parked farther away and walked nonchalantly through the chaos of cars and children with an air of smug superiority, like he'd figured out this whole parking lot situation. North of them was their first unmistakable landmark, a white-capped mountain so triangular, its shape so dictated by the angle of repose that it seemed more like a well-executed painting of a mountain by an unimaginative painter than an actual mountain. From the tip of its peak, one could draw a clear line down the valley. To the south was another mountain that stuck out less for its visible height than for the fact that a cluster of cell phone and radio towers had been installed at its summit. Maybe it didn't look like the tallest mountain among its neighbors, but someone had clearly figured out that it was, and it made sense from the information Izquierdo had given. But the east and west mountains that were supposed to serve as landmarks were a harder call, in those directions were not so much distinct peaks as wobbly ridges with crests and valleys. Some jutted out more than others, but none towered over its fellows as an obvious choice. Asante was rechecking the maps Izquierdo had sent her. Liam squinted at the peaks around them, turning around and around. I'm starting to think someone gave you bad directions, he said. Izquierdo's work is solid, Asante said, but based on old information... Manchu said, with an impatience Asante wasn't used to from him. One landslide in the past hundred years would make those instructions meaningless. Asante looked up at him. Not meaningless, just less precise. But how far off could we be? Sal said. She pointed to the west. Say it's that peak with a house on it versus the peak next to it. The difference can't be much more than a quarter of a mile. I'm with Sal, Grace said. Even if we're moving in slow motion, Liam said. What if those flying worms are there? 
Maybe they won't be, Grace said. And maybe what is here when we turn on the orb will be worse, Manchu said. Don't we have to try, Grace said. Grace, this is a rare kind of optimism from you, Liam said. We've come a long way, Grace said. I don't want it to be for nothing. I want to know what we can learn. She sounded like herself, Asante thought, but there was something else in her voice, a kind of longing that usually wasn't there. Manchu, Grace, and Asante herself were all a little on edge. It wasn't making any of this much easier. Grace is right, Sal said. The two of you really have each other's backs today, don't you? Liam said. Don't you have our backs too? Sal said. Always, Liam said, sounding a little offended. You know that. The overburdened mother drove away with her child. The argument over the parking space was settled when one driver honked his horn and pulled in. The other one scowled and drove on. A new fleet of cars was pulling into the parking lot. Menchu sighed. Whether we're in the right place or not, we can't activate the orb here. I am worried enough about the danger we're putting ourselves in. I won't endanger anyone else. Tonight, then, Grace said, after the store is closed. Yes, Asante said. Tonight, here. They passed the day and said little. Liam went for a run. Grace went for a walk. Asante and Francis talked shop. Manchu did almost nothing. When Asante tried to talk to him, he responded just enough to be civil. But she soon figured out that she wasn't going to get much from him. He didn't want to be here, hadn't wanted to take his team on this expedition. Asante may have won the argument they'd had before they left, but she couldn't win his assent. Biawa Chapka became a much quieter place at night. Nobody walked on the streets. There was only the occasional car, a few stray dogs. The communist-era factories, half of which were closed down, loomed over the center of the town. The Aldi parking lot was lit up like a stadium, but that only emphasized how empty it was. Francis and Liam hauled the orb out of the minivan and unpacked it on the asphalt. They gathered around, not quite as close this time, facing outward. Francis knelt down and began to operate the orb's dials. I hope you're right, and that this is worth it, Manchu said to Asante. If there's nothing on the other side in the everyone, Francis can always bring us back, Asante said. Can she? Asante looked at Francis. Do it, she said. Manchu said a little prayer. The sky lightened to that same orange flashing with pink. The mountains softened, winked in and out of existence. The air turned cold, somehow sharp and sludgy at the same time, heavy with the ghosts of glaciers and floods. Just like before, none of it was there, and yet all of it was. Everything was in between except them. And some distance off, it was hard to say how far, there was a sphere floating in the air. At first, it appeared to be the size of a small building, its surface riddled with an ornate texture, the work of a sculptor paying too much attention to detail. As Asante's eyes adjusted to the light, she realized the sphere was much farther away and much bigger, big enough to hold a lot of buildings, a small town. She could see that the texture on the sphere's surface was made of an array of doors and windows, hundreds of ways into the sphere's interior. They were all closed. It took forever, but she raised her right arm, extended her index finger, and pointed at it. There, she said, felt the deliberation in her tongue as it moved from the roof of her mouth, behind her teeth, opened the throat, then closed it again to form the word. Team four. The rest of the team nodded. How do we 
Get in, Sal said. Asante thought of a long sentence, then shortened it in her mind before speaking. It would take too long to say. When we get there, she said. They began to walk in the soft earth toward the sphere. Asante looked around, allowed herself a thought that she regretted in an instant. Maybe we're alone here. After only a half a minute, if time passed the same way here, the ground lurched beneath their feet. A low moan escaped from the ground and started to rise in volume. Between Asante and Sal, a conical creature with one squat leg and one arm, out of proportion to the rest of its body, pulled itself out of the shifting dirt. Its mouth split its face open, and it let out a roar. The arm swung around, thudded into Asante, and she felt strong, fat fingers close around her chest. She struggled and felt what she thought was the hand's grip loosening, but then saw it was more that her movements were sanding off the first layer of the creature's skin. Fine grains drifted from the hand and landed around her feet. The hand closed tighter to compensate. Asante looked at Sal and didn't have to talk. Help me, her expression said. Sal clambered onto the thing's back and dug in with her fingers, was able to tear clumps of its body out and throw them away behind her. The creature bucked and swayed, trying to get Sal off its back. It lifted Asante into the air and seemed poised to use her as a weapon against Sal. Sal was having none of that. She plunged her hands into the place where the thing's single arm met its body and started excavating. Even in the sluggish time of wherever they were, she made steady progress. Sweat broke out on Sal's forehead and arms. The creature lowered its arm. There wasn't enough of it left to support Asante's weight. Asante kept fighting against it, and more sand poured around her onto the ground, but the hand would not let go. Sal kept digging, and the creature roared again. It tried to lift Asante up once more, but this time Sal had dug too far. The arm shuddered and slid off the side of the thing, disintegrated when it hit the ground. It took Asante down with it, though now, when Asante pressed against the fingers, they crumbled and gave way. She burst from their grip and got back to her feet, and saw the kind of trouble her team was in. Sal was still riding the thing's back, pulling clumps of dirt out of its head. Another creature crawled out of the ground behind her, looking like a giant beetle with a ridged shell. Dust hung in the air, and through the pink gloom, Asante could see Liam, Francis, and Menchu wrestling with two other creatures. Grace had taken on the biggest one herself. It was the size of a small truck. She flitted around it like an insect, tearing off pieces of it and flinging them behind her, but the creature wasn't slowing down. Now the ground beneath them rose all at once, fell again, began to erupt around them. Something much bigger was rising out of it. The smaller creatures fell back to form a wide circle around Asante, Sal, Grace, Francis, Liam, and Menchu, and though they said nothing, Asante felt like the team was being taunted, prepared for a sacrifice. The creatures were there for a spectacle. A long arm ending in a two-fingered hand exploded from the earth with an awful slowness. It arced over all their heads as if it was a missile that had been launched from miles away and was targeted to land right where they were standing. Only Grace would be able to move fast enough to get out of its way. For the rest of the team, there was only raw inevitability and too much time to think about it. Masanti thought of her family, her husband, her children, her grandchildren, all her cousins and her cousins' children. They made weddings and funerals and parties, a better time than she'd ever had with friends. She did not want to leave them. A chorus of notes scoured the air. 
Asante turned toward their source, and from the faraway sphere, a phalanx of seven knights had issued, clad in armor and riding beasts with leathery wings and long necks that ended in faces that looked like owls. Three of the knights had long bugles that they swapped out for pikes to match the other four. They moved as if this place were filled with only air, less than air. They moved like falcons. The giant hand stopped its descent and began to turn toward them, but they had already arrived. They swarmed around the hand, using their pikes to tear off chunks that they hurled away. As Asante watched, the hand disintegrated above her, and it rained fine sand that coated her face and shoulders. She began to laugh. She couldn't remember the last time she had felt so free. The smaller creatures scattered back into the earth as the knights finished their work. After the hand was gone, they started in on the arm itself, circling around it, working their pikes, until the entire appendage was unraveled and the knights had come to earth, landing around Team Three. You are from the Vatican, one of them said. Manchu opened his mouth to speak, then just nodded. Come with us, another knight said. We can speak inside. They each climbed up behind one of the knights and were borne aloft. They rode through the pink sky toward the sphere, and Asante at last saw how large it was, large enough to hold a stadium, several city blocks, enough for quite a few people to make a home there for a long time, as long as they weren't too concerned about leaving. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Five. In the sphere was a village, built all along the inside of its shell, a curving maze of houses and cobblestone alleyways. Here and there, the needle of a steeple. All the roofs pointed inward, a sea urchin in reverse. In the middle was a warm orange sun. Thin clouds orbited it in gauzy rings. As soon as the knights entered through a door that opened onto a small square, they righted themselves and landed on the pavement. Asante could move again, like she could in her own world. She got off the knight's mount and looked around. Grace hopped off and dusted her clothes. Liam cracked his knuckles. Manchu rubbed the top of his head with his left hand. Sal gave them all a smile, then she and Grace helped Francis dismount. Asante's assistant was still moving slowly. She'd taken the worst beating. There was a small chapel in front of them. The knights escorted them in without a word. Inside, a small group of men in vestments was seated at a long table, waiting for them. They all looked young, though with gray hair and pale eyes, as if the color had been drained from them. They motioned to chairs on the other side of the table from them, and the visitors sat down. The men investments waited. Everyone in Team 3 did, too. For a moment, no one seemed to know what to say. I'm Father Manchu, said Manchu, finally. These are the members of my team. He introduced each of them. There was a long pause. Thank you for saving us out there. Yes, said one of the men. There was another pause while Asante waited for some sort of welcome or explanation of what just happened. It never arrived. Are you from the Vatican too? Asante said. One of the men squinted. Yes, he said. Well, yes. It's not a word we use much, said another of them. Were you from the Vatican? Manchu said. The squinting man cocked his head. What's the difference? He said. Another of them interjected. Let me see if I can clear this up. We know Rome, but we made this place. We are always making it, the first man said. Fuck this, Liam said under his breath, but just loud enough for Grace, sitting next to him, to hear. Grace's eyebrows rose, and she nodded. Asante gave them a dirty look, then turned back toward the men investments. When did you come here, Asante said. Here, the first one said. We are here. We've been here a long time. The second one said, we start to lose track of time. For some of us, like our leader, we lose track of it in a more fundamental way than you might have thought possible. Asante was starting to figure that out. How is it you get to stay here? The same way you do, the first man said. He pointed to the orb, which one of the knights had placed on the table. We have a device like that. I imagine you do. Santi said, I think you built it. We did build it, the second man said. We are always building it, the first man said. I see, Asante said. Do you, the second man said. Do you see like we see? Asante thought about that for a moment. No, she said. Tell me what you see. You want answers, the first man said. Yes, Asante said. To what questions? I have a lot of questions. We have a lot of time, 
Yeah, well, we don't, Grace said. The men investments gave her an appraising look. You, one of them said, have had a lot of time, in fact. What, Francis said. What does he mean by that? Manchu said nothing. Asante decided to change tack. What's your name? She asked the second man. Giancarlo. And where were you born, Giancarlo? Cremona. And you became a priest? We are all priests here, the first man said. And what is your name, Asante said. Frediano. Where were you born, Frediano? I am always being born and always dying. Got it, Asante thought. She turned back to Giancarlo. Are you the priest who had to leave the Vatican for using magic? Giancarlo smiled. We don't think of ourselves as having had to leave so much as deciding to. The records suggest you were driven out, Manchu said. Frediano smiled. That is not the way we see it. Let me guess, said Grace. You are always leaving the Vatican. No, Frediano said. We are never there, and we never left. Oh, for fuck's sake, Liam said. Sal couldn't hold back a chuckle. Frediano laughed too. I like this one, he said, pointing to Liam. Giancarlo, Asante said. We have gone through a lot of trouble to find you, and we have a lot of questions. We are happy to answer them. Giancarlo said. Why did you start learning more about magic at the Vatican? There came a time when we thought we needed it to combat the magic we were fighting against. You only thought you needed it? Yes, Giancarlo said. Then we understood that there was no need to fight it. Once you understand that, said Frattiano, there is no need for anything. But why did you feel you needed it, Asante asked. Was it that you thought more magic was coming into the world? We thought there was going to be more, Giancarlo said. But you were wrong, Liam said. Only about how long it would take. We had much, much more time than we thought. We see that now, Frediano said. The rest of the men investments nodded. When is it coming then? That depends on how much you mean, Giancarlo said. First, something small happens. A village? No, a town, maybe? It is hard to see. Machu leaned forward. What happens to the town? Everything, Frediano said. He kept his hands over his mouth. Then he blew a puff of breath and flung his hands out like he was conducting a carnival trick, making something disappear. When does this happen? It doesn't matter, Frediano said. How can it not matter? Because, Frediano said, in time, it happens everywhere. The members of Team Three all looked at each other. When, Liam said. Frediano gave them a huge, beatific smile. It is always happening. I can't listen to this, Sal said. Giancarlo looked at her with surprise. How can you know what you know and not act on it, Sal said. We say the opposite, Frediano said. Because we know, we know it is pointless to act. Then why even tell us, Sal said. Why save us at all? We didn't, Giancarlo said. He pointed to the end of the table. Vito did. 
The last man in the row looked half again as old as the rest of them, but the color hadn't drained out of him yet. I'm sorry it took us so long to rescue you, Vito said. Our sense of time is not as precise as it should be. Yeah, we noticed, Liam said. Why did you save us? Sal said to Vito. Because, he said, I like the world the way it is. I don't want to live in it, but I love to visit. And I want to keep visiting. Asante had a thought. Did you save some people lost in the mountains once? She asked. Vito smiled. Many, many years ago, yes. A couple times. It was so easy to get lost here before there was a town. Now that there is a town, I sometimes visit to prevent accidents. Small ones, I save who I can. Including us. Vito shrugged. You have important work to do. I want to see if you can do it. Are you saying you saved us so we can save the world? Liam said. No, Vito said. I'm saying that visiting the world makes me see the point of saving you. And the world? Sal said. Vito was silent for a moment. Then he said, did you get what you came here for? Do you have straighter answers than they do? Asante said. Straighter, yes, Vito said. But not better. I can't see like they do. I think it's because I can't think like they do either. There's a connection here. The more you think of time as an infinite present, the more you can see it that way. But you have to really think it, not just as a thought, as a reality. I'm not there yet. Thank God, Liam said. Can you get us back? Sal said. Yes, Vito said. Almost at the same time you left. We don't time travel, but we do, in a way, uh, stop time? Disconnect ourselves from it? Do you know what I mean? Yes, Grace said. I do. Vito peered at her. Yes, you do. One last thing then, she said. This disconnection. Can you reverse it? Why would you want to? But can you? Yes, Vito said. If you figured out how to come here, you can figure that out too. Grace turned to Manchu, a hopeful expression on her face. Manchu didn't return the favor. Please take us home, he said. Vito escorted them back outside, where the knights and the orb were waiting. You don't have to leave this place to use the device you have, Vito said. You'll come back just down the road, on the parking lot. You'll be able to walk back to where you came in. He turned to Asante. I'd like to help you sometime if I can, he said. Asante blinked. You know, that surprises me. Why? Liam laughed. Are you serious? I mean, thanks for not just standing around and letting us be crushed into the ground earlier. But begging your pardon, y'all come across as far too fatalistic to care about helping us more than you have. Fatalistic? Vito said. Oh, I wouldn't put it that way. How would you put it then? Sal said. Accepting? Vito said. Grace frowned. No, that's not it. We just are, and it all just is, Vito said. Acceptance is itself an action that seems unnecessary, because things have a way of happening whether we accept them or not. So you can see the point I'm trying to make, Liam said. I see it, Vito said. But please tell me you understand a little about where we are now, too. We don't have death wishes, for ourselves or for anything or anyone else. It's simply that those of us who are further along, who see this infinite present, 
Infinite present, Grace said in a tone that suggested she didn't like the phrase. Who see all of it? Oh, I hope I can express this right, Vito said. We see where everything you know has come from, and we see where it is all going all at once. We see how fleeting it is, and at the same time, see that there's nothing to be afraid of in that, and that there is much to be embraced. To see time collapse into a single dense point like that is, in its way, beautiful to us. In a sense, to us, it is God. Vito had cupped his hands together as if he was holding a ball that was warming his fingers. Asante peered at him. The sphere that you've made, she said, is not for protection. No, Vito said. You built the town in God's image, Asante said. Vito nodded, pointing upward toward the glowing center. And we here on the shell have the privilege of living close to it. Close to, not in. We came to the church as religious people, a religious order dedicated to creating religious order. Though we may have left the Vatican behind, we have only continued on that mission. And it has sustained us, you understand, in more ways than I can begin to tell you. How did you build this, Asante said. Vito laughed, nodding toward Grace. She doesn't have time for me to explain. At last, you understand me, Grace said. We need to go. Oh, just one thing, Vito said. He gave one of the dials on the orb a quarter turn. What was that for, Francis said. Just to make sure you don't take anything with you that you didn't intend. I knew that's what it was for, Francis said. Ready? Ready, Liam said. You can't get me out of here fast enough. Asante had Sal shoo the rest of the acolytes out of the black archives, so only Team Three and Francis remained, gathered around the rug in front of Asante's desk. The orb was back in its position there. Everyone's where they're supposed to be, Sal thought. It would have been nice to spend more time with them, Francis said. There's so much to learn. Yes, Grace said, if it didn't take a hundred years to get one piece of information out of them. Francis chuckled. There's that. Do the rest of you think the expedition was worth it, Manchu said. I take it you don't, Sal said. No, Manchu said. We were almost killed, all of us. Not to be cavalier about this, but we're all almost killed on almost every mission we go on, Liam said. This was different, Manchu said. In each mission I assign, there is a clear objective, a way to know if the risks we always take are worth it. Every book, every artifact that we put away here is, to me, validation for putting myself and all of you in harm's way. But I don't see what we gain from this mission. How about understanding? Asante said. I can't believe I'm saying this, Liam said. But I agree with Asante. Now we have a real sense of the importance of figuring out what the network is doing. Through all that white noise that came out of Vito and company's mouths, I got the sense that if there's some sort of magical apocalypse coming, they're doing their best to hasten it, am I right? I heard the same thing, Sal said. They're planning something. Something is going to happen soon. Maybe sooner than we thought. But we are in no better position to stop it, Manchu said. We're not more prepared. We're just more afraid. Unless we start learning to use magic better, Asante said. Manchu gave Asante a sharp look. I don't know why we keep talking about this, going around and around the same argument. And if using magic well leads to becoming like Team Four, then I have no interest in it. Surely there is a way to explore how we can use magic to stop magic without dropping out of the world, Asante said. 
In all our years here at the Vatican, we have seen nothing but lives ruined by magic, Menchu said. People sacrificing their humanity or having their humanity taken away from them. I understand that we're experimenting here, but I care about all of you too much to not speak up now. If the experiment continues, I'll go with you. I won't have you taking risks that I'm not taking, but I can't say I support any of this. No, said Grace. Well, I can. She looks square at Asante. Vito said there's a way to fix me. What does she mean by that? Francis said to Asante. I'll explain later, Asante said. No, Grace said. I'll explain now. Francis, my life is literally burning away right now. There's a candle in my bedroom. When it's lit, I'm awake. When it goes out, I go to sleep. I slept for decades. They wake me up when they need me to fight, almost only when they need me to fight. What kind of a life is that? Francis said. The words came out of her before she could stop them. Sal could tell from her face that she was horrified she'd said them. Grace, I am so sorry, she said. Don't be. You didn't make me this way, and you're not the one keeping me this way. She glared at Menchu. He is. Her voice started to rise. All this talk about wanting to protect us from using magic, Grace said. How can you be so selfish? You don't think we're already using it? Two of us have been possessed by demons. What? Francis said. And my entire existence is touched by magic. My whole life. Not use magic? It's way too late to talk like that. Are you going to tell me that we have it in our power to find a way to fix me, and you're not going to use it? Manchu took a deep breath. He opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. Grace seemed frozen. Her teeth were gritted. Tears brimmed in her eyes. Manchu took a step toward her, his arms out. Don't even think about it, she said. She turned to Asante. I couldn't be happier right now that you don't answer to him. Grace, Asante said, there are other things we need to explore first. The time is, please don't finish that sentence, Grace interrupted. If you tell me time is precious, I'm going to tear this place apart so bad you'll wish we never bothered to rebuild it. What do you want us to say, Asante said. Nothing, Grace said. I'm glad that finally I know where I stand with both of you. She headed toward the stairs out of the archives. Menchu moved as if to follow her. Sal put a hand up. Let me she said. As Sal left, she could hear the rest of the team arguing below her. Is this it for us? She thought to herself, but she put it out of her mind. She had work to do. Sal took her first couple steps out of the archives, very, very worried. Sure, Grace had a passport, a couple legal documents to ensure her personhood, but she had no property to speak of. She didn't pay rent. She had no friends outside of the Vatican, no family. Sal knew that Grace could take care of herself too well. If she just made up her mind to walk out and disappear, she could have. If she moved fast enough, which she certainly could, she could get her candle and be gone for good. What was another prayerful person on the grounds of the Vatican? Then she'd be out in the streets of Rome or beyond, awake for as long as she wanted, until she found someone in this world she could trust and go to sleep. Given what had just happened, Sal wouldn't blame her. So Sal was relieved when the librarians working on the floor above the archives knew where Grace had gone. Sal followed their pointing fingers out of the building into the courtyard. She saw Grace on the other side of it, walking with purpose, not trying to escape, just angry. Sal ran to catch her. Grace, she said. Grace turned. You just got a raw deal, Sal said. Which was when Grace wrapped her arms around Sal, pulled her close, and cried. Sal held her, 
The two of them stood still as people flowed in a river around them, tourists with cameras, children with snacks, police officers and bureaucrats, all heading somewhere that seemed important to them. All oblivious. Want to talk? Sal said. Yes, Grace said. They were quiet all the way back to Sal's apartment. She unlocked the door and let Grace in first, then turned on the lights behind her. Grace walked slowly through the kitchen into the middle of the living room. Huh, she said, not much different from your old place. Still feels a lot like my place. Neither of us have much, Sal said. Yeah, Grace said. The balcony's the nicest part, Sal said. She opened the glass door and they both stepped out, sat down on the plastic lawn furniture. Sal kicked her legs up and rested them on the rail. Grace planted hers on the floor. You know, Sal said, I almost threw myself off this railing once. The hand? Yeah, he didn't make me do it, though. I wanted to because he was in there. He stopped me. Grace shook her head. Awful. She looked away from Sal to ask, what was it like? Having someone else at war with you in your brain? That's hard to describe. I used to think it's what people with multiple personalities might feel or schizophrenics, but I don't think that does justice to possession or schizophrenia. Grace let out a little chuckle. Probably not. What's it like for you, Sal said. Hard to describe? No, not anymore. It's like falling for the same dirty trick over and over. Every time I wake up, I wonder how much has changed. Sometimes it's little things. People get haircuts. The seasons have turned. She paused. The longest one was the worst. Everyone I knew is dead. Like I had only been asleep for a couple hours and a bomb had gone off and... Wipe them out. And ever since then, part of me is always expecting that to happen again. I'll wake up and you'll all be gone. The dirtiest trick ever. She looked at Sal, and Sal could tell she was trying not to shake. Today was a little like that, anyway, Grace said. Sal reached out a hand and patted Grace's shoulder. Grace let her. They sat for a while and didn't say anything. In the alley below them, an old car roared by and sent up a plume of dark smoke that got them coughing for a half minute before it dissipated. I thought she said it was nice out here, Grace said. I said it was the nicest part, Sal said. I didn't say it was nice. Grace let out a small laugh. You know, Sal said, I'm still the new kid around here. I know that. There's Francis now, Grace said. Sure, but I'm still the new one too. I'm not in a position to defend them to you or you to them. I know they can seem like terrible people sometimes. But I have to say, if I were you, I'd stay with them, with us. Why should I, Grace said. Because we're the best chance you've got, Sal said. That's not much consolation. I know, Sal said. Are you hungry? I have something in the fridge? No, Grace said. Sal? Yeah? Can I stay here tonight? Sal thought about it. Sure, she said. There's the couch if you need it. Thanks. She turned away from Sal and looked out over the alley. Are you going to be able to sleep tonight? Sal said. I'm planning on it, Grace said. You want me to tell Menchu you're here? No, Grace said. Sal took the hint and left her alone. She made herself a little dinner. Grace declined to join her. It got dark and the lights came on in the alley. Grace stayed out on the balcony, and Sal left the glass door open and went to bed. 
When she got up in the morning, Grace was asleep on the couch. She'd taken those hours and made them hers. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Bookburners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.